Grab your favorite caffeinated beverage and get cozy because you are listening to Mindful as a Mother with Paige Bruce and Lindsay Adams. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic relationship. And the information given in this podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the advice of a professional. Hey everyone, it's Paige. And today for our episode, I have a somewhat of a heavier topic and it kind of took me a minute to get my thoughts together to record this for you guys. Um, So first, a story. My oldest turned seven in March and for the last six months she had been asking for a pet lizard and so we spent months researching different lizards and what kinds would be the best kinds and low maintenance because you know mom's not trying to take on more responsibility for her to have a pet so we settled on a bearded dragon it was a really fun event we went down to the nearest pet store over the weekend and were able to have her hold and pick out the bearded dragon that she really wanted and so she cherished this pet and actually it was going much better than I even anticipated. She's very responsible. She always changed its food and water, made sure it's, she scooped its poop, all the things. She spent quality time with it every day. Well, Alayla has two younger sisters. And so one day after school, she came home and she found Lizzie the lizard dead in their tank. And I didn't know anything had happened. No one had said anything. Her sisters didn't allude to anything. I didn't catch anyone in her room because that's where we kept Lizzie. And Alayla's just sobbing. And it is just the most heartbreaking, body-shaking sobs. And she just kept saying, I don't know what happened. I don't know what happened. Lizzie was my best pal and I would change her food and water and I did everything that I thought I should do. I don't know what happened. Please, somebody just tell me what happened to Lizzie. And it was, it was sobbing for at least two hours and my heart is breaking and I'm crying with her because I just, I have nothing to say. Like, I don't know. I'm so sorry. You do. This isn't your fault. Like, I feel like as parents, we don't always know what to say in the moment, especially when we see someone that we love hurting so badly. So that's going to be my topic of our episode today. Um, it's going to be supporting your kiddo through your grief um, or even your friends. And so while I'm not trying to, to make a blanket statement that the loss of a pet is the same as the loss of a life, um, grief is a very individualized experience. And this was a very real, very intense experience for our family. And I thought, you know what, this is something that doesn't get talked about very often. And so I wanted to share it with you guys. So here's the things we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about making space. We're going to do a little education on grief, what making space means. I'll provide some examples because it's a very hot therapy word, like phrase. We're going to make space. I just need you to make space. And sometimes when I'm working with parents, I'll talk to them about making space for their kids' emotions, right? Because we are also feeling very intense emotions. And so we're going to talk through what that means. We're going to say, do make space. We're going to talk about validating. Do validate their experience. We're going to walk through different strategies to help you validate your kiddo's experience with the loss of of a pet. And then I'm going to talk about rituals and the impact of rituals in 
sometimes when I say ritual, the first thing that people think of is in a spiritual context. And that's not necessarily what I'm going to discuss. I'm going to talk about the psychology of rituals and the scientific impact of them on the brain. If you guys have been around for a minute, you know that I really like brain talk. And so we'll learn why these things work. And then I have some book recommendations um, to help you support your kid in the experience of grief and loss. Hey, so what I want you to know is that grief is a highly individual experience. No two people, even if they are experiencing the same event, will experience grief the same. And so with that... (laughs) There are things called the stages of grief, which you guys probably know of. Um, The stages of grief are a very helpful explanation of the different kind of emotions and things that you might experience within grief. And so the five stages of grief are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Okay, so here's what you need to know, though. Grief doesn't happen in a linear sense, meaning it doesn't happen denial. And then we're going to do anger and then we're going to go through bargaining and then depression. Like, thank God we're almost done. We'll be to acceptance. It doesn't work that way. You kind of ping pong around like you're in one of those um, pinball machines. (laughs) You're a pinball in a grief pinball machine. Sometimes you're in denial and then you'll be at bargaining and then you'll be in anger and then you'll be back in denial. So grief doesn't happen in this predictable sense where we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. We also kind of call it like a waxing and a waning. If you think about like the oceans of a wave or sorry, the waves of the ocean. It's been a long day. But you think of the waves of the ocean. Sometimes the grief is going to be extremely intense and sometimes it's going to pull away a little bit, but it's always going to be present, especially when we're considering the loss of a loved one. Okay, so when I say the term make space, just think for a minute and ask yourself, what does that mean? What does it mean to make space? I am a very picture person. So like I think in metaphors and explain things in like vivid imagery, even to myself. So when I think of make space, I literally see myself like taking a step to the left and there's an empty space there. Um, so when we make space, what I am intending to say is allow it to happen. Have an understanding that grief can be gradual, even if it's it can be gradual and it can be sudden and traumatic. And when we have a loved one who's suffering, we see them hurting like a Layla was. Um, the instinct is to fix. So right after she found Lizzie, she's holding this poor baby lizard in her hands. And she says, she says, what happened? What happened? Somebody tell me what happened. And she's saying, Yuri, you touched it. Was it you? Just tell me the truth. I just need to know. Mom, what happened? I did everything right. I thought I did everything right. So what I want to do is I want to fix it. I want to say, you know what? We'll go get you another lizard tomorrow. It's going to be okay. Like, I'm so sorry this happened. It's going to be all right. Don't worry about it. We'll get you another lizard. It'll be like nothing ever happens. I want to take that away because it hurts so much as a parent to see my child hurting. And this is true, not not only parent to child, but friends. I have friends who have lost a son and just 
the way they were hurting, I wish I could take it. Like I wanted to fix it. And even though we have good intentions, we want to make space by limiting the fix it mindset. So instead of saying, Alayla, we can go get you another lizard. Everything's going to be okay. The only thing I could think of was to say, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. This isn't your fault. And when she would say things like, I I change its food and water every day and I spend time with it and I was so gentle, I would say, you you were. You were all of those things. Lizzie felt very loved. You loved Lizzie very much. So I'm not trying to take away all the pain. I'm just affirming that you're hurting right now because of the love that you had. I'm not trying to fix it by saying, okay, well, we're going to go. Let's just, let's watch a movie. Let's watch a movie. Let's just go watch a movie. It'll be fine. Just look. Don't even worry about it. Let's go watch a movie. I didn't try to save her from that pain by pretending like Lindsay didn't die and giving her a different lizard. Although that would have been a much less emotionally charged experience. Um, I just made space. I knew that she was working through the emotions of losing somebody that she loved. She just kept saying, Lizzie is my best pal. Lizzie is my best pal. Um, So when I say make space, what I mean is I want you to just have open arms and know that this experience is going to happen. And we're not holding back grief because if we hold it back, then we don't heal. We're just opening our arms. So that's another visual for you guys. I'm going to open my arms and know that this is happening. This is going to happen. And I'm going to embrace it, whatever that looks like. Okay, the second thing in making space is avoiding the fix-it mindset. We're not trying to fix it. We're not trying to take away the pain. I did a lot of hugging. I did a lot of, I'm so sorry. I did a lot of affirming what she was saying. Like, yeah, you did. You changed the water every time, you know, and as a parent, I don't, I was felt very limited in my own sense and had to be really aware because I had a lot of grief too. Um, Lizzie was super cool. The third thing that I want you guys to know is that your kiddo or even yourself feeling sad, shocked and lonely are all normal. So I want you guys to just normalize that experience. If we are prepared and know that these are normal reactions to what your kid is experiencing or what you're experiencing, we're less likely to hold on to that grief and hide it because that's the instinct. It's very painful. So we want to hold it. We want to hide it, but that will prolong it and know that it's okay to express your own grief. Like I tried really hard not to cry when Alayla was crying, but I couldn't hold back and so. I cried and she looks at me and she was like, why are you crying? And I just told her, I feel really sad that Lizzie died. I feel really sad that you, you're so sad because Lizzie was your best pal and I love you very much. Um, and she even asked me about it again later as she was processing. So that is tip one, make space. So the second thing that I want to talk about is validating. So This is another thing that I think, right, instinctually can be difficult. So right away, Alayla was saying, 
She's my best pal. I can't believe he died. What's happening? Somebody tell me what happened. Somebody tell me what happened. Um, and I just validated. I was like, you're so sad that Lizzie died. I'm so sorry. We don't know what happened. We may never know what happened because she was at that point. She was like, tell me the truth. Just tell me the truth. Did you kill my lizard? You tell me the truth. Did you kill my lizard? Somebody tell me. And so I just said, I'm so sorry. Right. I validated that experience. We're so sad that Lizzie died and we're so shocked that Lizzie died. We may never know what happened. We may never know why Lizzie died. And so that's the, the first thing in validating is just labeling and acknowledging the emotions that they're experiencing, helping them put a word to the reaction. And for yourself, put a word to your reaction. Are you shocked? Are you sad? Are you totally blank? <laughs> like I'm just disassociating right now. Hey, so the next one I want to talk about is not closing up. We want to welcome the talk. Again, with open arms, don't close up when they're experiencing grief. Don't try to rush them through the process. Don't try to hide it. Don't try to say everything will be okay. I want you to welcome it. So something you need to know is that when we experience grief or a lot of experiences, we do a lot of time, we spend a lot of time processing. And so in kids, that processing can look like repeating things, repeatedly asking questions, repeatedly um, playing out the same scenarios through play, um, repeatedly drawing pictures about it or asking about it or talking about it because we're processing. So the more you can welcome that talk, the more you're validating that experience and helping them make their own space for their grief to work through it and to heal rather than to hold on to it and hide. And so this happens differently for different ages. Alayla will talk, was talking about Lizzie. She'll still say, I'm really sad that Lizzie died. I really miss Lizzie. And I'll validate that. I'll say, yeah, I really miss Lizzie. Remember how Lizzie did this? Or remember how Lizzie did that? And we'll talk about it. Her younger sister is five. She doesn't quite understand it necessarily the same. So that night, while she knew something had happened, she hasn't quite grasped the concept of death and the finality of death. And so she drew pictures. She drew a picture of Lizzie with paint and then she drew another picture of Lizzie out of paint and then put rainbows on it and then put stars on it and then was talking about how Lizzie's a shooting star and was just trying to talk about it and process it. Um, another really good example is when Alayla was younger, uh, we chose to get a bunny, which is not a good choice for our family because our kids are very hands-on with animals. And so they had ended up playing with this bunny so much that the bunny was so stressed out, we're pretty sure it had a heart attack and died because they just wouldn't leave it alone. And so we talked them through it. It wasn't as emotionally charged, I think, in the same sense as it, as it was losing Lizzie the Lizard because our kids were much younger and didn't quite understand. They just knew that they had a buddy and then the buddy was gone. And so then we went to the playground and Alayla at, you know, four years old, went up to anybody that would listen and said, I killed my bunny. My bunny died because I touched it too much. Hey, I had a bunny, but I, I accidentally killed it. And they would say it just like that. And typically this could be something that's really frightening, but we don't want to shy away from that talk because that's processing. That's making space for it. That is validating their experience by allowing them to continue to talk through that experience in the way that makes sense to them. A lot of people reenact the, some, some of the same scenarios over and over again when they're experiencing grief. It's very similar. 
or you want to talk about something, you want to talk about it again and again and again and rehash it and, and look at it this way or look at it that way. It's part of processing. So I want you to, one, affirm, don't question, don't ask them why they're sad. Maybe they didn't have it very long, or maybe they don't necessarily understand death the same way, or maybe they didn't have the same relationship with the person or the animal. We don't question it. We affirm it. We say, okay, you're feeling very shocked. You're feeling very sad that Lizzie died. And then we also welcome it. So we allow that space for processing and we validate that. We have those discussions with them by not shying away or trying to hold it and hide it. And then I want you to get curious. And so when I say that, one of the best ways to help our kids feel heard and feel connected to is to be curious about their experience. So when they bring it up again and they say, I really miss Lizzie the Lizard, Instead of saying, I know, I'm so sorry, get curious. So another response could be, I miss Lizzie too. What do you miss the most? Because in, in being able to retell those stories, we're allowing them to feel that grief in a healthy way to help it move through their body. Okay. One of my favorite things to talk about, and I'm probably going to mention this again a little bit later, is that emotions exist as energy within the body. This has been scientifically proven. So I often tell people that we experience emotions all the time, right? We experience stress, stress is an emotion. We, if we don't find a way to let go, so in the opposite, if we're holding on to these emotions and we're hiding them, instead of finding ways to welcome them and discuss, discuss them and process them, then they get stuck. Here's another visual coming at your hat, it's like a train going through a tunnel. So this train, instead of coming out on the other end, it gets stuck. That emotion will get stuck in your body. Okay? For some people, this outlet, this type of validation can come from movement. I know tons of people who work through grief with weight training, yoga, dance, writing, creating their own stories, their own narratives, or writing letters to the deceased Singing, like these are some of the very creative outlets, journaling, um, creating art, talking about it, continuing to talk about it in safe spaces. These are all ways that we can help keep the grief train moving through the tunnel. And that's part of validating is getting curious, welcoming. I'm kind of pulling the train out of the tunnel. Tell me what you miss the most. What was your happiest memory with Lizzie? You know, so that's those are the things that I wanted to talk about when it comes to validation. So just to recap, one, make space, understand what grief is, that it's an individual experience. It's not linear. Don't take the fix it mindset and then be willing to normalize whatever emotions come up and express your own. Validating. Number two, validating. We're going to affirm. We're not going to question. Regardless of the relationship or longevity, we're just going to affirm and label what you're experiencing or what we're experiencing. It creates a universality, which is just like a fancy term for saying connection and bond over the experience to help the process. We're going to welcome the talk. We're not going to close up, right? Because talking about the experience or the loved one, again, helps us process. So we're going to welcome it. We're going to welcome it wherever it comes. And then we're going to get curious. To validate their experience, we're going to get curious about how they experienced it and how it's impacting them. So not necessarily 
asking them to walk through it again. Like, oh, you found Lizzie dead. Tell me how you found them. But we're getting curious about the relationship. We're getting curious about the impact that that person or that pet had. Um, what we've learned, what we miss, what we love. We are being curious about that experience. And it also helps your kiddo feel supported. So the last thing I want to talk about before I jump into some book recommendations that I think would be really helpful is rituals. When I say ritual, I personally come up with like spirituality, right? I um, spent a stint in a very religious um, setting. And so ritual sometimes to me comes across as um, a little more formal than I would like, but that's basically what they are. So for the sake of this discussion, I want you guys to think of rituals just as a specific series of acts that we perform regularly um, or that we perform with more intention at different times, right? So a ritual could be a structured schedule. You have a bedtime ritual. You have a morning ritual. Maybe you have a ritual while you cook. You always have to have your hands clean. Okay, so it's just a, a series of acts that we perform regularly. And rituals are, are really powerful. Okay. And I'm bringing this up because rituals, scientifically, rituals and habits have been shown to relieve stress. And those that participate in them, it helps them be more patient and present and it improves their cognition. So that means we're clicking on the upper part of our brain that controls our amygdala. And we're really starting to work on the emotional processing. And that's what rituals do for us. And it was really interesting as I was doing more research on rituals, there was a bunch of stuff that came out regarding the pandemic because when we went into lockdown, we lost a lot of our rituals, like the drive to work. I don't know about you guys, but I am a sucker for a fancy coffee. So every Monday morning on my drive to work, I would go and buy a fancy coffee. Well, that was part of a ritual that I was missing. And those that participate in rituals have less anxiety before events and spend less time in grief after the events. And I'm not sure how many people know that, but it's very impactful. Okay, so with that said, it rituals require focus, okay? And so I'm gonna share the experience uh, that Alayla created her own ritual. So this was her first experience with grief and she created her own rituals around it, which I, as a seven-year-old, she's not thinking about it necessarily as a ritual, but that's exactly what she did. And so when she was, she sobbed for a long time, and it was a lot of the asking, what happened? Somebody please tell me, I can't believe this happened. What happened, right? So I made space. First and foremost, I made space. The second thing I did was continue to validate you didn't do anything wrong. This wasn't anything that you did. This wasn't anything that you caused. It's very important that, that if that's the case, they know that as well. So I was like, this doesn't, you did. You did change Lizzie's food and water every day. You loved Lizzie very much. This isn't your fault. And this isn't something that happened. Okay? This isn't something that you caused that happened. It's just something that happens. And I'm so sorry. Okay? So when she felt like she was in a settled enough place, she asked me to do some specific things. So she wanted a special box to put Lizzie in. So I went and found a special box. And then she wanted to go pick a place to bury Lizzie. So I, I let her put Lizzie in the box and I followed her to the special place she wanted, wherever she wanted on our property and we buried Lizzie. And then she asked if we could create a headstone. So we went and picked like the biggest, fattest 
shiniest rock that we could find and this little piece of wood that we happened to find on the ground that was actually shaped like a headstone. She brought it in the house and she painted. And at this time, her siblings got to come in and paint too. And we had a really complicated relationship here because it actually was one of her sisters that accidentally killed her lizard. And so their relationship was very tense during this time. And they both needed to process. And I was like, okay, CPR or first aid, like which need is higher at the moment that I could satisfy. And at that point it was a Layla. And so once we moved into the expressive arts, like I got out all the paint, I let them pick whatever paint they wanted. I let them pick paper, rocks, or wood, whatever they had. And each kiddo created their own piece of artwork for Lizzie. So Layla made a headstone and she wrote, Lizzie, the lizard, my best pal. And, um, Someone else like painted on a rock and painted Lizzie on the rock with all the colors they like. And then my five-year-old painted a picture of Lizzie with um, shooting stars and rainbows. And then after that, we went and placed all of the things that we had created on Lizzie's um, grave site and their headstones. After that, I told you guys I was emotionally charged. So after that, Alila asked me, can we please do all the things tonight that Lizzie would love to do? It's like, yeah, absolutely. Can you tell me what that is, right? I'm getting curious. I made space like, yes, typically on school night, is that something I would do? No. Is that something that I felt like she needed as her parent? Yes. So I validated that and I created the space for it. And then I was curious, like, what did Lizzie love to do? And Alina told me, like, well, Lizzie loved to eat mealworms. So can we eat gummy worms? And Lizzie loved to watch this movie with me. So can we watch this movie? And Lizzie loved to create comfy spaces with blankets. So can we create a cozy spot and watch this movie and eat these gummy worms? And I said, yes. I was like, yes. <laughs> At this point, literally anything. But these are the rituals that Alayla had organically created within herself and the tools she had to start processing this loss and honor this loss. So when we participate in a ritual practice, we're exaggerating familiar behavior. So we are emphasizing behavior that maybe we already do. Like we, we always have family movie nights and we eat candy and popcorn and live our best life, but we're emphasizing it in a way where we're, we are doing things specifically that Lizzie loved to do. So we're doing that. We're also creating headstones. That's the other ritual. We all decorated headstones or created pieces of art to honor Lizzie. Okay. So we do arts and crafts all the time, but it was emphasized in a way that was honoring Lizzie in whatever way felt right for each individual kid and myself. So when we participate in these rituals, because it is exaggerated, it's emphasized, right? It takes focus and it activates parts of our brain that typically are not going to be activated in that moment, which would be the amygdala. Um, and the amygdala is activated a lot. But in this particular instance, when we're focusing and we're emphasizing rituals, we are activating the amygdala. The amygdala, if you've heard me talk about it before, is the guard dog of our brain. It's responsible for processing our emotions and emotional responses. It's also something we refer to as your lizard brain or your downstairs brain, because that's where most of that happens. And so what we're doing is we're activating the amygdala and we're tapping into the emotions in a repeated sequence and step. And so when we're doing the ritual, right, it's in a specific step process with focus. So we're moving this emotions and these experiences out of, out of where it's at currently to long-term memory. 
Did you catch that? So when we're having these really, really intense emotional experiences, it's existing in a part of our brain where we're processing it. And as we do rituals, we allow the process to happen. So it's moving it from one part of our brain where it's having this intense emotional response to the next part of our brain when the processing of it to the acceptance and to the healing part. And that's just kind of like a less fancy way to say it, but I'm hoping that you're picking it up. I thought that was really cool. It's really cool to know that, that when we're participating in these activities to honor the people or the animals or the loved ones that we've lost, we're continuing to process the experience. We're continuing to activate the brain in a way to reduce our stress, to promote healing, right? So that's why rituals are important. And that's what we did. So we we literally, we buried, we had a funeral for Lizzie. That was a ritual. We created expressive arts pieces and headstones for Lizzie. That was a ritual. And then we had a memorial or a celebration of life where we did things that Lizzie loved to do. And it's also interesting just from like a research standpoint that these are things that we've never experienced a death when my, so the last death that we experienced in funeral we went through was when Alayla was a year old, one year old. So she's never walked through all of these different parts. We've never had to explain these things to her, but these were instinctual for her. So I think it's really interesting that, that humans in general kind of gravitate to these ritualistic responses when we're experiencing grief and loss. So I thought that that was cool. Hey, so with that being said, that was my part three. Rituals. Know what they are, how they help, that it's actually part of the processing, part of the acceptance, and then some examples. Okay. So now before I sign off, I want to share three books with you guys that I actually really like. I'm going to talk a little bit about what is in the book, the age range specific for the book, and maybe a little bit of how you can make it applicable to a wider age range. The first book that I love, and I know Lindsay loves too, which she can listen to this podcast later and tell me I'm wrong, which I'm not, so fight me, <laughs> is The Invisible String by Patrice Karst. Um, and I will even put the links to these books, and they'll probably be from Amazon, but that will give you a description of kind of what they are and give you a peek inside, and you can get them all on Amazon or shop local, your local bookstores. So The Invisible String um, talks about these kids and this mom and they talk about um like sometimes they're scared and sad when they're separated from their mom or the people they love and they the context of the book is that everyone's heart is connected by an invisible string it doesn't matter where they are and they specifically talk about like if we're at work or if we're at school so it's great for separation anxiety but they talk about what about so and so in heaven like yep even there our heart strings are connected even there so this is a great introduction when your kiddos are trying to process loss. And the age range for this group is three years old to seven years old. And an activity that I love that goes with this is if there's a specific loved one. And again, I'm always going to suggest activities to accompany it. One, because I'm a crafty mom. I just like it. Like I love glitter. Love it. I could have it all over the house. Wouldn't bother me a bit. But when we participate in rituals, it helps to processing. Okay. And so in expressive arts, is a processing activity. It helps us make space and validate our experience and work through it in a way that makes sense to us to help us accept it, not accept. 
that's a bad word for it, um, to help us embrace it. I'm going to use embrace, embracing the grief and the experience and the loss and how we're experiencing it in the present moment. Okay. So what you do is each person has a heart um, and they decorate that heart for the loved one or the pet or whoever. Um, Sometimes we decorate it for a specific family member and then we tie a string to it. Um, We whole bunch of tie a string to it and we give it to somebody that we love or we keep it as a memento of someone we love. Knowing that it's a heart with a bunch of stuff that reminds us of this individual and it's connected to our heartstrings. So it's just a visual, like physical representation, which is great for the age range of three to seven because we haven't quite delved into the abstract concept and abstract thinking. So anything that we can make hands-on and concrete is going to land better. And if you want to make this activity more applicable to eight and above, take the same concepts. So talk about it in story form. You don't necessarily have to read the book because it is geared to three to seven, but talk about it. Talk about how everybody has a heart string and our string is connected to the people that we love and who are the people that you love. Do you love this person? And talk about how that heart string is leaving an impact and what is that impact that they left on you? And believe it or not, my teens that I work with love to do collages, magazine collages. Um, They talk about it even just having a general discussion about it, drawing pictures about it, creating Spotify playlist songs about it. Great. Okay. Book number two is The Grief Bubble. And it talks about it as six plus, like six-year-old, six, sorry, six years old and above. And the grief bubble talks about just how everybody experiences grief differently. It's a much more like walk through it in this type of way book which works for some and and doesn't work for others, but it's an expressive arts book created by an art therapist where they can explore grief in a variety of contexts and what it means for them at an age appropriate level. And so this is just a way to create those expressive arts. And in the beginning, I think it's really nice because it even like gives some parent instruction on how to discuss this. And how the bubble is a safe place to talk through your thoughts and feelings. Um, And so it's important to know that as a supportive adult, you have access to this and you can talk through these experiences with them, with these resources. And so what I specifically like about the grief bubble is it, it talks to you about listening and how to allow them to share their thoughts and stories without judgment and then prompting them with that. And so you can even use this again, whether or not you read the book verbatim with your older kids, you can talk about this experience and talk about the grief bubble and have them engage in the activity, find an activity that they're comfortable engaging in and talk about the grief bubble, what's in the bubble, what's outside of the bubble. Uh, Okay, the last book that I want to talk about. And when you're having them do expressive arts, I mean, you can ask to look at it, but they also don't have to, right? I always give them the choice. Like, I would love to see it if you're comfortable with that. And if not, I don't have to because this is yours. So the last one is the memory box. And I'm very fond of the memory box. Um, It's a a narrative story that talks about creating basically mementos, a box of mementos. And I even sent this as a gift to another client 
um, that I had worked with as a parent that I had worked with whose kids were experiencing a lot of grief and loss in the moment. Um, It talks about losing a loved one um, and creating a box and keeping mementos and written memories inside of it um, or even pictures inside of it and walks you through how to make make a memory box of your own. Um, And in this one, again, is narrative. So the age range is four to 10 years old, which I love that because even my 10 year olds love to read books. My my 12 year olds love to read books. So I feel like it's age appropriate. But also you can take the concepts in the book of a memory box and a memento and writing down these memories, right? Basically like writing a memoir of the person you love and apply that to your team, right? So if they have somebody they loved, um, maybe we'll talk through creating a memory box and how would you decorate that box? What, What would you put inside of that box? And if they're not into expressive arts, it can be a conversation. It can be memories. It could be music. Music is big with teens. It can be TikToks that they watch together. We love TikToks. Um, but there are creative solutions to take all of these. Con- Sorry, excuse me. There's creative solutions to take these concepts and apply it as they're older. What you need to do is, is read through it and see how it best fits your kid because grief is an individualized experience. Okay. And that is what I have for you today. So before I hop off, I'm going to recap supporting your kiddo through loss of a pet or other. Um, One, make space. So understand that grief is highly individualized, right? We're going to be okay with that. (laughs) Don't take the fix-it mentality and know that the feelings that they're feeling sad, shocked, lonely are normal and be willing to express your own grief. Two, we're going to validate. So we're going to affirm. We're not going to question regardless to the relationship. We're going to affirm the experience for them and the connection that they had as unique as it was. We are going to welcome the grief talk, continuing to talk about it or create imaginative play about it. Or for our teens, they're probably talking about it alone, closed in their room, but knowing that you're open and welcome to the talk. Okay. And then getting curious. And this particularly works well with adolescents. We're going to get curious about their experience or connection with whomever they lost. Third is rituals. Understand that rituals, not always, not always religious, but they can be, and that's okay. But rituals help us. Rituals and habits help the processing. When they activate the amygdala, which helps us um, process our emotional experiences and responses. Okay, it's helping us work through this experience. It's helping relieve stress. And actually, the studies have shown that people who participate in rituals, like actually participating in an activity after a loss, experience less time in the grief cycle. Hey, they experience less time in the grief cycle and have a more positive outlook. So it's important to know that. And they require focus. And all are okay. It doesn't matter what it is, it's going to be individualized. So whatever we're doing to process that loss, we're going to embrace, accept, and we're going to support them in that ritual and identify it as such. This is a specific tool for processing the loss that we just experienced. It's going to minimize anxiety and it's going to shorten their time within the grief experience. And then last but not least, the invisible string, the grief bubble, and the memory box. So thank you guys. This was a really tough episode just because 
Grief is a tough topic that I don't think we talk about enough and how to support each other in that grief. So if you have any questions, feel free to email us or get us on the gram and let us know. I want to know if you have any questions. All right, guys. And so if you follow us or you are in our Facebook group, Embracing Mindful Motherhood and Positive Parenting, where Lindsay and I spend a lot of time providing free workshops, tons of promo codes, all the recordings for every training or question we've answered are still available in the group. We also do Ask a Mom Friend. And so I have a couple questions that I want, or at least one question I want to throw out to you guys. And you can email us at mindfulasamotherpod at gmail.com. And give some, give some tips, give some advice. Okay. That's the purpose. I want to create some community and I obviously will not be sharing anything negative or hateful because that's not what we're in this for. So this is a question that I hear a lot and I wanted to throw out to our audience and see if you guys had any advice for this mom. She says, I am struggling with filling everyone's cup when mine feels like it's on empty 99% of the time. How do you manage everyone's emotions and keeping them happy or fulfilled when you're feeling this way? Help. Hey, I want to hear what you guys have to say. So shoot us an email again at mindfulasamotherpod at gmail.com and we'll share it next episode. Thanks for coming to Mindful as a Mother podcast. If you'd like more of us and Mindful as a Mother, you can find Paige at Instagram at Parenting with Paige and Lindsay at Linz underscore Adams LCSW. Find us on TikTok, Instagram, and in our Facebook group, creating community and smashing parental stigma, embracing mindful motherhood and positive parenting. Thanks so much and see you next time.